and welcome to everyone who made it here this morning. And to those who are joining us online, I hope there are many, given that there are not many here, although uh, it's more than 20, Bill. Uh, it's probably 30 or 40 at least, but um, I do welcome all of those of you who are here. I am the only elder here today because all the other elders are gone either because of their own illnesses or sickness or a spouse who has tested positive for COVID. So um, we scrambled. We truly had to scramble beginning yesterday afternoon as to what to do. And some of you may know that um, I was going to open up a new Sunday school series today on this topic, this called All Things Eternal, as you can see on that slide. And we decided as elders that the first message which is the Bible's emphasis on eternity, would be a good message to present to whoever was present today as a replacement for Mike, who was scheduled to teach today. But we are definitely in the midst of some challenging times, physically, mentally, emotionally. But Paul wrote to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And the psalmist wrote, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in our time of need. And we gotta remember those things as we try to deal with what is going on around us. I am subbing for Mike, and he and Kathy are doing better, but he was close to thinking he might be able to make it today, but he thought it would be best to stay home. This uh, message, just to let you know, um, as I said, is the week one message to this Sunday School series, and there are three more weeks that will follow. And those following weeks, this is a general message today that will cover why is it is so important for us to have that eternal perspective, to think eternally, and how the Bible's emphasis on this topic is just undeniable. Uh, but the message is, the lessons that are gonna follow in Sunday school get more specific. We're gonna talk about the human soul being eternal going forward, and then we're gonna talk about eternal punishment, we're gonna talk about eternal life in heaven, which will last forever. So uh, I will just say I will encourage you, if you think this sounds like something you'd like to pursue further, uh, hopefully we'll be back to a Sunday school service next week but we are not 100% sure of that yet, so I'll just say stay tuned for how that may work itself out. So let me go ahead and open us in prayer, and I'll get into uh, this message today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all praise and honor and glory as we humbly approach you here this morning. We ask you to help us to have the right perspective regarding what matters most to you. We often lose sight of the eternal things that matter to you because of the cares and busyness of the world, the struggles we face, the losses we experience, and even our worldly successes get in the way. Help us to see things, Lord, through the lens of eternity that your word so clearly presents to us and help us to understand how thinking eternally can benefit not only ourselves, but others. We pray this morning for our ministry partner, 
Abby Broyles, who serves you in Uganda. We pray for her encouragement, her protection, help meet her needs, and help her to have success as she spreads the gospel among those people. And we pray for the persecuted church around the world who millions and millions are just living under suffering and trials of some sort. And we pray that you would help them to stand firm and and have the courage to share the gospel, even though it may mean persecution and even worse. Lord, we pray for our body, for any sickness or illness that is present in our local body, for our families, for our friends. We pray that you would um, bring healing. We pray that you would stop the spread of anything more among our people and pray that there's nothing serious that results from any illnesses that are out there. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, what did I do? I'm sorry, I left my clicker down here for slides. Okay. Yeah, there is, uh, I know we ran out of handouts because we weren't really prepared. If anybody needs one, Russ is handing them out right now. I think a lot of you are probably familiar with um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And one of the reasons you're probably familiar with it is because you may, if you're old enough, you may know of a song by the birds called Turn, Turn, Turn. Anybody uh, remember that song? Even some of the younger people are raising their hand, which means they probably had a parent who was playing it. But you know what's interesting? Um, They quoted scripture really accurately in that song. They quoted almost the whole chapter three of Ecclesiastes. And let me read just a little bit of that to you. I'm going to read the first four verses but uh, of what it says. To everything, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but if any of you want to sing it, Sally, you probably could sing this song very well, but I'm not going to ask you to do that. Um, but I'll read these first four verses. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to turn, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And the list goes on. I'm not going to keep reading the rest of it. You get the idea. That is the part that they chose to include in the song, and it's, and it's very important. It points out that God has appointed times. He has appointed times that are really big things. We, in some ways, call them dispensations, times when he is going to accomplish certain things for Israel, for the Gentiles, things like that. But he also appoints these things that seem to be very small, things that are about farmers planting and harvesting, time for individuals to weep or to laugh. So there are times that apply not only to the really big things, but to the small things. 
But I bring that out only to make it in contrast to what immediately follows that in chapter 3. It says that God has set eternity in the heart of every human. That's sometimes overlooked. It was overlooked by the birds in the song, but that's okay. They still quoted scripture accurately, but they never got to this point. And that's what we're going to really focus on here today, that we have, God has put eternity in our hearts. And what does that mean? And what is the significance of that? And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, if you have eternity in your heart, if God has put it there, if that truth, if you accept that as a truth, what does that mean? Well, from, you can say that it means that, there is some, that you as an individual know that there is something beyond this life. You have a hunger, whether you pursue it or not, there is a hunger, maybe deeply buried within you, in your spirit, in your soul, to understand what is coming next. Now, depending on where you are in terms of being a believer or knowing God's word, you may have anxious thoughts about what is coming next. It could be things like uncertainty or fear or judgment, punishment, separation, whatever it is, but that relates to what is coming next. Or you may have joyful anticipation. You may have that longing for what's coming next, hope. You may be looking forward to rewards or the rest that you're going to finally have, or reunion, which has very special significance to me right now. The more knowledge you have of God's word, the more you will lean towards joyful anticipation and less towards anxious thoughts. If you know his word and you know his promises, you will definitely think more that way if you even take the time to consider things that matters of eternity. Now there's another thing about whether or not you pursue what has been placed in your, has been placed in your heart. There are things that can get in the way. When you walk according to the flesh rather than the spirit, that is going to cloud over that gift that God gave you, putting eternity in your heart, him wanting you to think about things from an eternal perspective, whether it's the cares or pleasures of the world. You know, it could be either way. It could be the good and the bad. It can be a self-centered attitude. Those things can cloud that over and get in the way or stifle that God-given gift to you to pursue things that are eternal in nature. Now I'm going to take a real slight diversion and I'm not going to get hung up in this. I could get very bogged down because in preparing this lesson, what I really, uh, I looked at a few articles written uh, mostly by Christians where you can get really bogged down in the complex subject of time and how is God, how does he relate to time? I'm not going to Say, I'll say one thing only. Christians who are also scientists are, are, some of them at least, things that I have read, talk about this concept of the dilation of time, if you've ever heard of that concept, where we think time goes on along some line 
always the same. One second is one second. And um, there is something called dilation, where if you are, and they've proven this actually, that if you are moving really fast, I mean really, really fast, or if you are further from uh, the source of, a, a strong source of gravity, time can slow down. Time slows. Haven't you ever seen those cartoon images, some of you, of a guy in a rocket ship who's going really fast and time slowed down for that person so they didn't age in their rocket ship but the person on Earth aged quicker? That's all I'm going to say. I mean, there's on that topic, it, I, like I said, I could get bogged down and there's other complex ideas. But what I really want to emphasize now, before we get into the rest of this discussion on thinking eternally, is that in God's sight, nothing exists as past or future, but everything is now. That's Augustine. That's a quote from him. God is outside of our timeline. He's not part of it. He created time. He created the timeline and it began at the time he created anything, whether it was heaven or earth or anything. Time began then. God is outside of it. Everything we know, everything we understand requires the progression of time including conversation, music, biology, physics, even judgment, rewards, and punishment that come later. Everything requires the passage of time, but God is outside of time. That is why prophecy is like a uh, very easy thing for the Lord, because he sees past, present, and future all at the same time. Now, we can't comprehend that, but even when we move on to what comes after our death, time, there will be a new heaven and earth, and everything in that new heaven and earth, if there's still going to be music and conversation and things like that, time must continue, the concept of time. But God is still outside of time. Everything we understand requires time to proceed. Now, God's word, back to the word, you know, I say that there's a huge emphasis in God's word for us to be eternally minded. There's some words up there. These are, these are out of NIV, and it shows how many times each of those words that relate to the concept of eternity or eternal things, you can see there are 446 words that are shown on that slide up there. Every one of them relates to something that will go on eternally. And the Bible tells us, and this is not a comprehensive list, I'm sure, of things that the Bible says are eternal. Those with the asterisk, humanity as well as created things, are eternal going forward. God is truly the only thing, he is the only thing that is eternal going backward and forward. And you can see on that list some of the things about God, the Trinity, all aspects of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are all eternal forward and backward. His attributes, his promise, his words, his reign, his dominion, his covenants, 
everything about God is eternal, going in both directions. We are eternal going forward. Every created thing, uh, not every created thing, because some will be destroyed. The current heaven and earth will be destroyed, and a new heaven and earth will be formed or restored, and it will be eternal. But you could see some of the other things up there that relate to humanity. Next week in Sunday school, assuming that we will have Sunday school, we're going to talk about this humanity list, including a strong emphasis on our soul. But more, you can see some of the other things that we will be addressing. Uh, in created things, there are two things only that I found in Scripture that would say they are eternal. And I already mentioned the new heaven and earth and the lake of fire. And we'll talk a little bit more about those two in coming weeks in Sunday school and even a little bit more this morning. I want to refer you to our lion and lamb statement of faith because this is clearly illustrated in our statement of faith. What we say is that God is a trinity of persons this is taken out of it. If you haven't ever looked at that, I encourage you to take a look at our statement of faith online. But God is a trinity of persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each is eternally existent, as I said, going backward and forward. And I, I threw in this verse that I think is relevant as well um, to that concept, which is also referenced in our statement of faith. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and he is before all things, including time. He is before he created everything. He existed before that outside of our current timeline. Our statement of faith also says each person has an eternal future. Those who through faith in Jesus Christ have been reconciled to God, enjoy eternal joy and happiness in God's presence, whereas those who reject God's salvation endure eternal separation from God and all of his goodness in hell. So this concept of eternity and eternal matters is important to us in Lion and Lamb, and so we include it in our statement of faith. So why think eternally? I've used this slide once before for a different message, but it has relevance right now. The simplest answer to why think eternally, and then there's some other things we can add to that, is because our life is so short. It may not seem short on any given day, but it is. Compared to eternity, when you think forever. It is just a little blink of the eye. But God wanted us to understand this concept, and he, in several ways, came up with these analogies to point out how short our life really is on this earth. He referred to it in James 4.14 as a mist that vanishes. He referred to our life as flowers that may bloom and flourish, but then wither in a hot wind in Psalm 103.15. In Psalm 39.5, he says, our life is like a breath that passes away. 
Again, in Psalm 90, a bird that flies away. And again, we are referred to in Genesis, and I believe in Job as well, to we should return to dust when our life is over. Now, there are other reasons why we should think eternally, and at the very end this morning, I'm going to come, up, come back to some of the benefits and value of thinking eternally. So I'm not going to go into many of them now, except one thing. When we think eternally, it is a lot easier to accept the grief and loss that comes with separation of a loved one at this present in this present life. Without thinking eternally, uh, that becomes much more difficult. I don't think that one is included at the end, so I wanted to bring it up now. Now, um, a lot of you are familiar with a, many of the concepts of prophecy and eschatology. But a lot of those essentials, and we had a Sunday school series on that a while back, and it was pretty complicated, I know. So th today I got one slide here that um, to point out how so many of the eschatology ideas and concepts are based upon eternal doctrine. And I'm, I'm going to go through these uh, quickly, each one of them. In 1 Thessalonians 4, and there are more than one passage to refer to these ideas that relate to eschatology, but I'm going to just pick out uh, one verse that applies to each. But the concept of resurrection and rapture are fully based upon a belief in eternity. It says in 1 Thess 4, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. When that day of rapture and resurrection and transformation occurs, that is the beginning of that connection of being together with the Lord forever. It'll never end after that point. Now, he is with us now in a different way, but we will be with him in a whole new, even better way when that happens. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about the concept of immortality of the resurrected body. So that body we receive, that glorified body, the term immortal and imperishable is used in this verse. It says, at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal. What it's saying here is that glorified body, there will be no more death. Um, that's what mort immortal means. And again, it is a way, another way to say forever. We just said we're going to be with the Lord forever. That body we get will never perish. That glorified body that we can look forward to. Matthew 25 talks about judgment and life with Christ or separation from him. It's the, um, you know, it's the story of the sheep and the goats, where the goats will go away to eternal punishment 
but the righteous who are the sheep to eternal life. And I want to emphasize here the word eternal for punishment and life is the same word. You will hear some people say it at, at times. They'll believe in the concept of annihilation, which, which they apply, and these are Christians, they apply it to those who are not believers, that there is not truly eternal punishment forever. It's destruction, annihilation. But yet this passage uses exactly the same word for eternal punishment as it does for eternal life. And I may mention a little bit more about that, and we definitely will mention more about that in Sunday school. The eternal reign, that is something that um, we can read in different places, the eternal reign of Christ, God. But in Daniel 7, we see this verse. There was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. That is that final kingdom that is going to be established by Jesus to overthrow the final worldly kingdom of the Antichrist. His kingdom is everlasting. These are eschatology concepts that all are based upon eternal beliefs. Now Jesus emphasized a lot of things eternal. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about storing up our treasures in heaven rather than storing our treasure here on earth. And you're all familiar with that, I'm sure. But the main point is, Jesus is saying that there is treasure that can last forever rather than rust or rot or fade away. And he's encouraging us to store up our treasure in heaven, and I'll come back to that in a couple minutes. He talks about eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He talks about eternal punishment. We just said that for the goats and elsewhere. He talks about eternal life many, many places in Scripture. Uh, the book of John is probably the best place to find those, but it isn't the only place to find them. Um, that eternal life which we all receive when we trust him as Savior. And then we have food that endures to eternal life, and that is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. We consume that uh, by believing we are consuming food that endures to eternal life. And his descriptions of hell emphasize eternity. We said the eternal fire, already mentioned that, but it's mentioned more than one place in Scripture. Jesus talks more about hell probably than he does heaven is what I have read. I have never tried to do the count. But that eternal fire, he talks about an unquenchable fire. He refers to it in a slightly different way. Unquenchable means pretty much the same. It never stops burning. He talks about the worm that does not die. That's a nasty idea, really, but yet it, it gives us a feel for how horrible it is for the unbeliever for eternity. He talks about gnashing of teeth in anguish forever. You know, all of us have probably gnashed our teeth a few times, maybe for reasons that um, 
that we shouldn't have, um, even if there was righteous anger. But gnashing teeth is not a, a pleasant experience. And the people who do not trust in him, who end up in this kind of eternal punishment, will gnash their teeth in anguish forever. That's a horrible thought. Now, faith which is commended in Scripture relates to eternal promises. Got a couple verses here that I want to read, and then I'll focus mostly on the second one. First one is uh, Paul giving us an example of how we should focus on things that are eternal. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, on, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So you see, he compares what we see around us right now, today, every day, he calls it temporary. Now, that doesn't mean without value, but temporary. He is encouraging and saying he tries to focus his attention on what is unseen because it is eternal. And then when we look at Hebrews chapter 11, we see now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. If you have studied Hebrews chapter 11, you will find a long list that we typically refer to as the heroes of the faith or the faith hall of fame or something like that is something you may have heard. But you know, a main part of Hebrews chapter 11 is to refer to these ancients, these people who came before us who were trusting and looking for and longing for what they had not yet seen or received. It probably says that, I think, three times in Hebrews chapter 11, where it refers to them being commended for what they had not yet received or seen. That is commended. And there, I have a couple examples that are shown here, but only uh, one from Hebrews chapter 11, where Abraham was looking forward to that city that is built by God, which he never received, but he looked forward to not a city in Canaan, which was built by men, but he looked forward to a city that he had not yet seen, that he hoped for, that was going to be built by God. And then there's other examples that we see also in chapter 11 of Hebrews. But here's a couple other things, too, for us to think about that we can look forward to things that we do not yet see and we haven't received them, but they're just examples. God dwelling among his people in person. We know that Revelation 20 says, 21 says that God's dwelling will be among the people. He will be with us in this new heaven and earth. The new heaven and earth itself, uh, whether we're looking at Revelation 21 or whether we're looking at 2 Peter 3, where he talks about 
how the current heaven and earth will be destroyed by fire and it will be renewed or restored as a new heaven and earth. Again, that's something we don't see. We're not going to receive it for some time. And that is the kind of things that we should be looking forward to. Our glorified bodies that we talked about, at the, whether the glorified body is received at a rapture because you were still on the earth when the rapture occurred, or whether you received your glorified body because you were resurrected, which will be at the same time. In fact, it, it, the, uh, the resurrection and the rapture are occurring basically at the same time when Jesus returns. That is something that we, that is a promise that we have before us that we do not see that we should place our hope in. That is an eternal thing like Paul is saying. This is what we do. We look forward to those things that are coming, that are promised. Now we have a heavenly bank account. Jesus, this is what he really talked about, setting up our heavenly bank account. And I, I made this up. I, I, call it the bank of eternity, which I, I think that every one of you who is a believer has an account. Now, maybe you have only a little bit in that account. and Maybe you have a lot in that account. Maybe you're putting things in that account every day, and maybe you've only put things in there a couple times ever. But you have an account waiting for you to put things in it. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, for we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. But we can put things in our heavenly bank account. There's a quote here from a man um, named C.T. Studd. He was a rich and famous English athlete who also turned missionary, went to China. It's not the famous uh, Chariots of Fire, Eric Little. It's another guy who was a British athlete who went to become a missionary and left his successful cricket sports um, that, that he was in. He ended up dying on the mission field, not in China, but in the Congo. But he said this, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. It's another way of saying, uh, let's something that you may put in your heavenly bank account, something done for Christ, something to bring glory to God. One time I taught on a topic of uh, being rich towards God. And that, there's a lot of things we talked about then that are relevant to how we store up treasures in our heavenly bank account. We want to be rich towards God, and I'm not going to try to repeat a lot of what we talked about then, but the bottom line is being rich towards God means caring about what matters to him and devoting what he has given you to further those things that matter most to him. That can be giving financially, giving of time, just being kind to one another, allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you, letting those fruits which, which uh, give you the ability to do for one another in ways that pleases God. All of those things, being rich towards God, store up treasure in heaven. And how that all plays out in rewards, 
That's really hard for us to fully understand, but it will. When you are rich towards God, there will be, you know, we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will be given rewards on the basis of how rich we were towards God in our deeds. So that's another reason to think eternally. Now, there are misconceptions about eternal things, and some of you probably are familiar with the Far Side cartoons, and you may not be able to read the lines up there, but uh, I am not encouraging this as a place to go to get good theological information about (laughs) eternity or heaven. In fact, you will uh, get it. You see, it says misconceptions. I don't know what it is about this. uh, I think his name is Larson, who is the writer, I mean the uh, maker of these cartoons. He is infatuated by heaven and hell in his cartoons. If you would do a review, you'll find dozens of them that relate to heaven and hell. So whatever it is that is deep in him, eternity might be written on his heart in a way that comes out maybe incorrectly, but it comes out in a lot of cartoons. For example, I mean this one, uh, you got a guy sitting on a cloud, I wish I brought a magazine. There's the idea that heaven is boring. Now we're going to talk about heaven on the last of these four lessons that we have, but I think heaven will be anything but boring. Right? It's going to be amazing. And and, uh, like I said, lesson four in this series, we'll get into that more. Um, And the other one, I mean... A hell joke, he's this nerd saying, hot enough for you. You know, just, I mean, you may laugh, um, and it's okay to laugh. But I think that we need to understand that heaven and hell have been the brunt of all kinds of jokes rather than truth. The only place you're going to find the truth is in the Word. Now, near-death experiences, I'm going to, I'll say something more about that in, in a moment, the next slide. I mentioned something already about annihilation, and I want to talk about that more next week in the next lesson. But again, I will just emphasize that I do not believe Scripture teaches annihilation. I believe believers and unbelievers will continue their soul Their resurrected body will exist forever. I think that's what scripture teaches. And then there's also, this is not maybe an error, but but we have the idea of the current heaven versus the eternal state. The current heaven where our departed loved ones are, and, and we're talking about believers, is not the eternal state. It is an intermediate state. And we'll talk about that more next week too. Okay, because when resurrection occurs, they will come out of that intermediate state, receive glorified bodies, okay, and ultimately be in that eternal state of a new heaven and earth. Now, I want to mention just a little bit about this, because a lot of you, myself included, have probably read multiple books, one book. You see a couple books there that were some of the more famous books, about near-death experiences where someone, and in some cases they are little kids, 
who talk about what they experienced in terms of viewing or maybe even going to heaven or maybe even going to hell and coming back. Somehow they came back. It was a near-death experience. Some of these, we want to believe them. We think that they sound good. And some people have done legitimate studies to try to figure out whether these could really be showing us glimpses of heaven or hell. My own view is I'm going to depend on God's word and not on these books. Because I think a lot of what we read in these books are fabrications. I'm not going to say absolute certainty. There is no truth in any of these books. But I don't think we need to look to them to get our information about what we should look forward to from an eternal perspective. If God wanted us to have some of the information that would be presented in these books, why did he not present it in his scripture in more detail? Why did Paul say, I am not, who was caught up to the third heaven, why did he say, I am not permitted to tell you more about it? But yet we have these people in these books going into grand detail. So that seems inconsistent with Paul's statement about it. God has given us just enough to look forward to what he has promised and not need us to depend on something else being real. We depend, I mean, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture for all things. So I'm not going to say any more about that other than um, just be careful if you read some of these books and, and do so with, the, with as much discernment as you can. Okay, some people, here's a quote, and, and I, um, I bet many of you have heard this quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes, U.S. Supreme Court Justice, well-respected philosopher, poet, writer, legal scholar, so many things we can say positive about Oliver Wendell Holmes, but you know, I don't know much about what he believed from a faith point of view. I only looked at one biographical thing about him and you know, it, it said nothing about what he believed from a perspective of faith, so I don't know. I do know he was a very intelligent man, but he said this, some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. I bet a lot of you have heard that before. Do you really think that's true? Well, we could talk about that a whole lot, and actually, that was a topic that I was going to ask for some discussion in the Sunday school class, and maybe it's something you could talk about in your small groups or with friends. But C.S. Lewis, I have a quote from him that I think is worth uh, including as partly an answer to that question. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. Now, I could elaborate a whole lot more about what he wrote when he said that one sentence, not having time for that now, I will say that some of the things that he mentioned, as well as others who have tried to answer that question, have said Christians have done more for the good of people in the world than any other 
people group. Christians are responsible for abolishing slavery, for all kinds of philanthropy, so much missionary work, which includes not just spreading the gospel, but spreading good and providing for needs, orphanages, disaster response. Franklin Graham's group right now, they're first on the scene, all those tornadoes that hit like you know, Tennessee and Kentucky and those places. Schools and universities, rescue missions. Have you ever seen a, uh, at least all the rescue missions I'm familiar with and have been familiar with are all Christian-based. Prison outreach, et cetera. We could go on and on about the good. Now, yeah, then you'll find somebody who is uh, wanting to give the alternate side to that to talk about how we've had the Crusades and all these other wars that uh, related to people's beliefs. That is just trying to divert from the truth. Christians, like C.S. Lewis said, who understand eternal matters, who think eternally, are those most likely to devote their lives and be dedicated to these things that help people. Okay, a couple more things. Promises of eternal joy. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but all those things that were promised in Scripture for us, whether it's our glorified bodies and all the other stuff I talked about, relate to joy that we're going to experience for eternity. And let me read a few of these verses quickly from Psalms. You will find, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We will be in his presence. There will be eternal pleasures and eternal joy. From Isaiah, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. So that rejoicing will go on and on. In Isaiah 61, you will rejoice in your inheritance and you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. And then Luke 6, rejoice in that day. And he's talking about when people hate and persecute you and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. All of what we have to look forward to relates to joy and we should expect it as well and long for it. Okay, practical benefits, this kind of wrapping things up here. There are many practical benefits to having an eternal perspective and view. And this slide lists some of those, not all of them, but it hits on what I would think are some of the main ones, that our trials and suffering become more bearable. Our light and momentary suffering becomes more bearable when we know that it is a blip in time, a very short blip in time to be followed by a joy-filled eternity. Sacrificial living makes more sense. You know, you only have so much wealth and so much time, and you, we have a tendency to sometimes uh, wanna keep as, at least a certain amount of that for ourselves. It is sacrifice to give of it, but it makes much more sense when we know there's an eternity to follow 
and rewards based upon that sacrificial living in that time of eternity. We sin less knowing that our deeds influence those eternal rewards. We're called to live holy lives. And you know, it's easier to live a holy life if we truly understand and believe that a sinful life is going to impact those eternal rewards when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're more motivated to witness and share the gospel. If, if we know that our time is short and somebody else's time is short, we will be motivated to, sh- motivated to share now, motivated to share now because our time, this may be our only time to do so. We may never get another chance. And we're more likely to encourage one another as the day of Christ's return draws near. We can rest in all of the promises that, that we have. And there are so many in Scripture. We looked at some of them today, but there are so many promises that relate to eternity. But no promise is greater than the promise that we'll spend eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. And this image that's shown on the screen is rather than the clouds covering eternity in the heart, I'm showing eternity in the heart covering the clouds. Those clouds that might um, cause us a gloomy view or despair or something like that. Or clouds that may uh, lead us towards self-gratifying pleasure even. Eternity in our heart has a way of covering those things that either impact us or maybe cause us to sin. So I'm going to end with two quotes about thinking eternally. By thinking eternally, we are encouraged, we have greater hope, we have greater joy. But I have two quotes here, one from a man who I never heard of, I prepared for this lesson. His name is Thomas Watson. He was a Puritan preacher nearly 400 years ago, or approximately 400 years ago. He said, Eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. I think there's some wisdom in that thought. And then another C.S. Lewis, All that is not eternal is eternally useless. So with that, would you stand and together we will read these uh, couple verses. Okay, band, worship team, come on up. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal.